The Your Mark on the World show is made possible by our sponsors, including Clean Energy Advisors. Welcome to Your Mark on the World, bringing you another changemaker with champion of social good, Devin D. Thorpe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Mark on the World show. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe, and I'm a Forbes contributor covering social entrepreneurship and impact investing. Our guest today is Daryl Carter. He's the CEO and founder of uh, Avanath, uh, which is a low-income housing uh, investor with a uh, billion dollars worth of housing under management. Uh, Daryl, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here. We're really thrilled to have an opportunity to uh, visit with you and to learn more about what you're doing. But why don't you start by giving us a quick overview? Avanath uh, Capital Management is a company I formed uh, nine years ago. And our focus was on really building a better mousetrap in the affordable and workforce housing space. I have found that, you know, in, in my history, and I've been in the commercial real estate business for 35 years, that it was a market that was, number one, underserved by institutional capital, and two, underserved by what I call the best standards of the apartment industry. Well, uh, there is a lot for us to talk about, I think, in this space. But uh, one of the things that you try to do, as I understand it, is to keep people in the housing after you buy it and are working to rehabilitate it. How do you do that? Well, number one, we focus on, um, you know, one of the things that we've learned in the apartment industry particularly, and and I think you could say this in all segments of the, uh, all sectors, is that a continuity of good residents breeds a very, very successful community. So um, while many people focus on, buying and renovating and really uh, creating a new resident profile. You know, we certainly, when we renovate, we raise the rents, but we raise the rents to a level that is affordable for the residents that are there. And we try to do what I call smart renovations, where we uh, put in things like washers and dryers that benefit that family, but also, um, we don't, we, you know, there are certain things we don't over-improve, which then necessitates raising rents. You know, one of the things that many of my investors, they'll walk through and they'll see like, wow, this really looks great. And then they'll look up at the ceiling and it's the old 1960s or 70s popcorn ceiling. They'll say, wow, we really want you, it would be great if you can get rid of it. And we say, yeah, it would be great, but I'd have to charge $40 more in rent. And at the end of the day, I think everyone, every family can afford a $300 big screen TV, and they're looking at that and not the ceiling. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Boy, that's a great insight. Now, uh, how do you get returns uh, from low-income housing that are adequate uh, without being evil? Well, unfortunately, the, the, the implication behind uh, your question in terms of evil, it, it underlines part of our strategy, my strategy for pursuing this business. There are unfortunately a lot of bad actors in the lower end of the apartment space and not very many what I call highly professional companies. It, it's, the number is increasing, 
but historically, uh, there it's been dominated, or there you not dominated, but there are you 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 get the publicity of the bad actors. Um, a few statistics that might be helpful. The one most important statistic: we lose about a hundred thousand units of housing each year in this country. That's all at the lower end. Uh, it's generally lost because it's obsolescence. Uh, there needs to be, it, it isn't in conformity with current business uh, building codes. And so one of our strategies is to acquire housing like that, that many people have written off. And maybe it's in areas that are primarily communities of color where there, it's lacked investment. Uh, so the first thing is, how do we get the returns? We buy it on a very favorable basis because in many respects, um, it's been abandoned by um, the previous owner. Uh, and so we buy it well, and we then uh, work collaboratively with both our residents and the community elected officials to try to be take a holistic approach where we don't invest only in brick and mortar. We try to invest in the residents there. And we do things like after-school programs and other types of things that benefit the residents. Uh, so, you know, part of, and, and, you know, we, you know, part of how we do it is we buy very, very well. You talked a little bit about some of the things that you're doing in addition to the physical facilities. I'd like to explore that a little further. Uh, you talked a little bit about a- after-school programs, but it, it seems to me that the, the community uh, that you wish to create and foster is a critically important part, not only of, of the, creating a place where people want to live, but also of your economics. Well, you know, when you start with one fact, I mean, for instance, when you talk about we own a number of communities that have a large number of Section 8 residents, and most people have perceptions of Section 8 uh, that are generally negative. Uh, Even when we, communities that are 100% Section 8 that we have, most of our residents with Section 8 work. There's a misnomer that most people of Section 8 are on welfare and they don't work. That's simply not true. Most of our residents of Section 8, not only do they work, but they generally contribute 50 to 60% of the rental rate. So these are people who are working. They, have, they pay more of the rent than Section 8 does, and you often have two incomes. And particularly when you talk about locations like where we are located in California or New York, which are very expensive areas, you know, we, we have, you know, Section 8 residents with two incomes that, they may make fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year, uh, and what happens is the school bus pulls up every day at three o'clock, and uh, you know we have a property, for instance, in Long Beach, California. We have three. We have over a thousand kids at that community, so when the school bus pulls up, lets out kids, it's three o'clock. Generally, their parents don't get home till six or seven, or sometimes later. So you have that period of time that it can make a huge impact, not only on that community, but also on those families. And so we have learned that to create structured activities uh, where it's safe, you know, we give the the kids a snack and we, um, you know, we create a very safe environment that the parents know where their children are. 
And, you know, that, that reduces our maintenance costs, but it, more importantly, parents want to stay there. And it, it you know, in many, where, where we have our after-school programs, we have retention rates generally that are 80 to 85% when residents renew, they want to stay there. Sure, sure. That's, that's really interesting, and it's uh, really uh, illustrative of the, the solution you're implementing. Uh, now, what income range? You mentioned that uh, on the coast, people may earn up to fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. What's the typical household income of the people you're serving? Well, let's start with one fact. The median income of a renter in the United States is 36000 a year. So, that's the medium for every renter in America. And if you look at our communities, our residents typically make uh, from thirty-five to sixty thousand dollars a year. So they would be typically at fifty to maybe eighty percent of area median income. And if you look at a place like uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, which is suburban Washington D.C., you have incomes, the, the median income is about 120000 a year. So, you know, we may have residents who are at 60%, but they're still making $70,000, but rents there are extremely high. And, you know, one fundamental issue we have in this country, we have over 20 million renters in this country, households, that pay more than 50% of their income in rent. Uh, when you're paying 50% in income, it has all kinds of, of effects, including on uh, health care, where people then don't spend the money to get more routine checkups and things like that. But you, you raise a really important issue, and I want to follow up on that. Uh, certainly, uh, your housing stock, uh, the, the projects you're investing in operating, don't serve everyone. They don't serve certainly some of the, the poorest residents. And I wonder whose job is it to serve them and how should they be served? Well, I mean, we in fact do, uh, you know, 50% of area median income is, uh, it's not quite, it's still above the national poverty level, but it is very close. I mean, it's kind of the working class, working poor, if you will. Um, and if when you're talking about the level below it, I mean, unfortunately, um, there have been a lot of things, you know, that was, that was once public housing's domain, uh, and there were, there were once a lot of programs, if you look at the, the history of HUD, uh, and, you know, we, we didn't have a homeless problem in this country, and, and that's really the level below where we are, people, uh, or, or it's incredibly substandard housing. Uh, right. You know, and so it's a challenge. I mean, we, uh, you know, again, people pay a lot of their uh, income in housing, particularly on the two coasts where we uh, principally operate. Well, it, it is a scary problem in our country that we have so many people who live in substandard housing and can't afford uh, housing. And I think it's a problem that is uh, universal or at least nearly universal uh, uh, where incomes are lower, rent is low, and so the uh, you may be able to get a, an apartment for $600, uh, but if you can't earn, you know, about $1,800 a month, you can't afford the $600, right? right? right. So uh, right. It, it's, at it 30, is a At $36,000 a, a year, you know, someone needs to pay about $1,000 a month. 
And, you know, across our portfolio, it's about 11, our average rents are about 1100 a month. Yeah. Well, uh, I want to just take a minute, Daryl, and get some kind of more personal insights from you. Uh, you know, you're doing some amazing work, but uh, I like to ask all of the entrepreneurs on the show a few questions just to learn a little bit about them personally. And uh, first, uh, you know, you are really an amazing guy, and I, I know a lot of people look up to you and admire you, but I wonder who do you look up to and admire? Who do you see as a role model? Well, no question. It starts with my parents. You know, they are, they were the best. Both have passed away. And, and my dad uh, was an auto worker. I grew up in Detroit. Uh, and, you know, at a time when there was tremendous uh, migration, they both, my parents grew up in Mississippi, uh, where there were very few opportunities, particularly for people of color. And they moved to, you know, Detroit to find a better life. And, and, uh, and, you know, we're able to, you know, buy a house and, uh, you know, and, and, and really create the, the, the American dream for, for me and, um, you know, my, my uh, siblings. And so, you know, the, the, that was probably my number one role model or my parents. And always, uh, you know, there was always a sense, no matter how little they had, was giving back. And, you know, both my parents were always, you know, they were organizing the neighborhood, watching the neighborhood and part of block clubs and, and being engaged and involved. And, and uh, so that was kind of my, my probably the base of, of my uh, uh, you know, mentors were my parents. But then, you know, throughout the years, I've been blessed to have uh, some, you know, great people. You know, my first boss at Continental Illinois Bank, where I started my career after business school, Jim Harper, who was someone who had guided my career. And, and you know, and, and it's, it's uh, one of these things that, uh, you know, I've learned in now 35 years in the real estate business that uh, it's an industry where a lot, there are a lot of good people in this industry. There are a few that get bad names. I mean, you know, the Donald Sterling's of the world and I'm a big basketball fan and, and uh, actually LA Clippers. So, you know, I look at people like that and say, you know, there needs to be better practices that's, that's in the industry. And, and, you know, one of the most extraordinary books that really touched me was a book, and I cannot think of the author's name, called Eviction, that chronicles all these people in a low-income neighborhood. And it wasn't only, you know, candidly, the physical conditions they lived in were not, that, that was the bad, that was certainly bad, but I think the, the lack of dignity in the way they were treated was yeah. worse. And that's one thing in our business that we, we invest in brick and mortar, but I invest a lot in training so that our on-site people are respectful. They, you know, they, they, they address our residents in a, in, in a very respectful manner. And, and, you know, I like to think our business model, uh, in some respects, my, uh, if you were to say, where's, what's a company that I look at and try to emulate? Um, I love, I think Marriott is a great corporation. They own Ritz-Carlton on one end, and they own Marriott Courtyard on the other. Marriott Courtyard is a tremendous brand. And when you go to a Marriott Courtyard, they're respectful. They treat you the same way. 
it's clean, it's well managed, uh, and the, the sheets may not have the same sheet count as the uh, Ritz-Carlton, but they're going to be clean and you're going to be treated with, and you know it's a very, very good product. And that's what we try to bring that same, the same best practices to the lower end of the apartment industry. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I was recalling that book you mentioned, Evicted, uh, won a Pulitzer Prize, fabulous book. Matthew Desmond is the yes. author and just absolutely uh, a, a really inspirational book that I, I, like you, I would recommend to others. Now, Daryl, you could be doing anything. Uh, there are lots of ways to make a living, and, and uh, obviously you're a capable guy. Why have you chosen to focus on, on this approach that uh, has such a positive input, impact on the lives of so many? Well, you know, certainly um, I've always enjoyed the real estate business and the physical environment. And, and, uh, but, you know, I, I also think that, you know, the, the, that um, – when you have ideas that are a little bit against the grain, that sometimes those are, you know, the, the ones to pursue. And, you know, very frankly, very few people take on this end of the market. Others now are taking that on. Uh, and I just felt there was a huge opportunity, you know, to both generate very attractive returns for our investors, but also to, impact some communities. And I thought you could do both. And candidly, when we launched our first fund, uh, we had six investors, which included TI, Craft and Prudential, and some great, great people who had faith. And they had, uh, and candidly, I wasn't, (laughs) now I can say it, I wasn't sure that this would all work. I thought it could work, but I wasn't sure. And, uh, and after we, we made our first series of investments, we really did have an impact on a number of communities in places like West Oakland. And I saw that we could do it. And, um, and so, you know, you have a driving, you know, part of it maybe is a little bit of ego of tackling things that other people don't take on and, and wanting to try to do that. Um, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, you can see, I mean, there's nothing that is more pleasurable for me. I walk, uh, generally, our standard as a company is we have four partners, and one of them walks every property every quarter. And I walk a lot of our properties. And, you know, I walk them, I talk to residents, and, and I love when a resident says, you know, we're really happy here. And I'm going to tell you, I mean, certainly there is a, a good financial return in this business, but there is nothing that makes me as excited as that when uh, I have a resident that comes up and, and, uh, uh, and, and, you know, just talks about that they're happy at their home because that is, it's their home. And, and, and we often think that apartment residents, well, they're not, um, you know, that we treat them differently than homeowners, but that's their home. Yeah. Great, great point. Now, Daryl, what is your superpower? <laughs> my superpower uh, probably persistence because in this business you have to you hear a lot of no's and people have lots of uh, myths and 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 um, you know you you most people doubt it you know and, and unfortunately people particularly large institutional investors they perceive that when you talk about affordable housing they're going to be 
shootouts, gangs, and the like. And, you know, you just have to convince people by taking them to our site, but also just continuing to, uh, you know, try to change the dialogue. And, and, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of, we, you know, we bought, like I said, we, we've taken on some, some real challenges, but one was a, a very large Section 8 property in Long Beach, and it had, we have a 1,000 kids that had very little amenities. And one of the things that people often do because they're concerned, well, if you create, for instance, some certain amenities, you'll attract gang members. And so we decided to build a state-of-the-art basketball court, you know, and I'm a former basketball player, so I, you know, and I, and people say, well, you, you're going to have gangs. I said, well, there are residents, so we, I want them to have that amenity. And, you know, we actually sat down with a number of the gang members. Uh, we have a nonprofit partner that uh, does our after-school program, which is the uh, Christ Our Redeemer uh, First AME Church. And the pastor, Mark Whitlock, uh, gathered a bunch of the, the, the gang members and, and sat down, and we outlined what we were going to do. And these young men have been incredibly respectful. They have been, you know, uh, it's been safe. We have not had any incidents. And um, and so, you know, my and, and we have various clinics. My 13-year-old daughter actually goes and she plays on an AAU basketball team and her coach runs a clinic there. So I she goes there. And so I don't worry about the safety because, you know, if I'm sending my 13-year-old daughter there, then I think it's safe. But I think that that's my mentality with every property. If your child's going to live there. I want them to be safe, and my child should be able to go to that property as well. Fantastic. Well, Daryl, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Before you go, can you just tell us how people can learn more uh, about your operation and how they can connect with you personally? Well, um, we're based in Irvine, California. Again, the company is Avanit Capital Management, and our website is www. Avanath.com. And by the way, Avanath is named after my children, Ava and Nathan. So that's where the name comes from. Excellent. Well, Daryl, thank you very much again for being with us. And we wish you every success in helping to provide housing for uh, America's working people. Thank you, Devin. I really appreciate talking to you. All right. Let's do some good. Clean Energy Advisors creates investment opportunities in the renewable energy sector that provide clients with predictable income, preservation of capital, and positive impact. Clean Energy Advisors is committed to providing clients with investment opportunities with both market rates of return and measurable impact. Thank you for listening. This podcast was recorded via Google Hangouts on Air and is available at youtube.com forward slash Devinthorpe. Subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher or iTunes by searching for Your Mark on the World. Every weekday, Devin hosts a CEO, celebrity, entrepreneur or other changemaker here on the Your Mark on the World show to inspire and prepare you to make your mark. Devin is a champion of social good, writing about, advocating for, and advising people who are doing good. He is a Forbes contributor who is a recognized thought leader in social entrepreneurship, impact investing, 
and crowdfunding. To book Devin as a speaker, visit devinthorpe.com. Learn more about Devin's work at yourmarkontheworld.com.